again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Buckeye Dads Discuss. I'm Josh. I'm Andy. And we're the Wonder Twins. No, we're just uh, your two hosts for the show today. Um, Andy, how's your week been going? Uh, it's been a busy one. Um, just had a lot going on at the old homestead. I uh, got a job interview tomorrow, trying to move on up in the world. So busy, busy as always. Oh, that's How exciting. Um, this week has been really just painful, exhausting uh, to give you some sense of what I'm talking about. I got most of the way to work on Wednesday with my son in the back seat instead of dropping him off at school. So we had to turn back around and go to school. Um, I came home today uh, at 1.30 thinking I needed to be home to relieve my wife so she could go to work. And uh, we actually had a babysitter here and I didn't need to do that at all. So I've kind of been a mess this week. Got to get your calendar. Yeah, I mean, I, I have my planner. I had it in there from early in the week that I needed to come home and then babysitting plans changed and I didn't update my planner and Lo and behold, I ended up wasting about 45 minutes of time uh, that I didn't need to. So, shit happens, but uh, this week's definitely been crazy. If that is the worst thing that's happened in your week in 2020, it's probably really not that bad of a week. That I mean, that's a fair point, definitely. <laughs> um, so, just uh, some quick topics here real quick before we get into the meat of our show. Uh, our last show, we focused on covid uh, and schooling, how that affected our children. Uh, happy to report that just today, Lucas County dropped down from the red level. Uh, that was a pretty severe uh, occurrence of the pandemic. Uh, we are now down in the orange. Uh, we've dropped from 185 cases per 100,000 people, and we've been dropping pretty steadily. Now we are at 85 cases per 100,000 people. So, Andy, I'm going to say that we... Uh, can take most of the credit for dropping Lucas County down into orange. What do you think? People paid attention to the last episode. They listened, and we are seeing a very, very quick effect from that here in Lucas County. So you're welcome. We'll hit you with some more good advice today. We'll be back down to green in no time. Well, and the uh, flip side kind of holds, too. If you guys stop wearing masks and you're not doing what we're saying, you're going to have to listen to us go through a whole other episode yelling at you about what you should be doing. So just keep the masks on. We don't have to get on your guys' case and we'll just keep staying healthy here in Lucas County. I will read COVID statistics to you until your ears start bleeding if you don't wear your mask. So come on, Lucas County, we can do it. We can do it. Um, real quick, Andy, uh, I wanted to give a shout out to Chadwick Bozeman, uh, taken from us rather unexpectedly at a very young age uh, to colon cancer. I know you're you're not a big Marvel guy. I don't know how many other uh, Chadwick Boseman films uh, you've you've watched, uh, but Black Panther is just amazing. It was amazing for me as a white guy. I'm sure it was even more amazing for so many people of color out there. I I loved his character, um, and I'm really sad uh, for his friends, his family, uh, and for what his career could have been. So it may shock you, that is one of the probably two Marvel movies I've ever seen, and I did think it was pretty great. Um, Congratulations. And, and just just reading the stories, what a life, short life, packed a lot of living into the short life, and just so impressive some of the things that he did kind of behind the scenes, the how much work he was doing while he was battling cancer, that he was still on set, kind of putting in the work every day and not 
making no excuses and just just keeping after it was I, I was quite sad reading just kind of the life that he had lived and, and I didn't know a whole lot about him until unfortunately I was reading the news about him passing, but what a life. Yeah. It's, it's really heartbreaking. I mean, you look back now and all the things that he did, you know, for fans, uh, for other people who are suffering while he himself was suffering. Um, you know, it's really hard to say something insightful about a famous, when a famous person dies, we didn't know him obviously, but he really still was one of those people that had an impact um, on a lot of people and uh, we're sad to see him go. And the complete opposite end of the spectrum. I think one of the reasons I'm so tired right now is just the rage that I felt over the past week. Um, we're not going to go in depth on these at all right now because we're going to have a very happy episode talking about football. Um, the Jeff Goldberg story in the Atlantic today about some of Trump's choice words for our troops and veterans um, and then the Bob Woodward tapes that came out just over the last couple of days about how Trump uh, knew how serious the COVID pandemic was early on. And that was not what he was telling the public. I really don't have the words for it anymore. I mean, there isn't really very little surprises me about him, but I was just completely down about all that news that came out this week. I don't really have any reaction to that. That wouldn't take quite a bit of time. So yes, it's another so, rough, another rough week in a, a string of rough weeks here in 2020. If you're reading the news. Yes. Yeah, anyway. so those two topics might come back in a later episode. They might not. I mean, Trump sabotages the news cycle almost daily. Um, so who knows if, if they will actually be relevant um, in a couple of weeks, but uh, let's, let's put that aside, Andy. Today is a great day. Uh, today, Are we talking about law and order? We're not talking about law and order. Andy, I have just one question for you. Are yes. you ready for are you ready for some football? I am ready for some football. So today is the 10th of September. Uh Thursday night football is here. The NFL season has started. Uh college had a somewhat muted start over Labor Day weekend. Uh, we're here today to talk about all things football. Uh it really this is you know, one of those days, one of those times of the year. It marks my year. It's a great time of the year when football starts back up again. Normally, there hasn't been basketball, uh, even though the basketball playoffs are going on right now. Um, and it's been the long, dry baseball season where I don't really pay attention to a whole lot of sports. But football is here. I love it, and we're ready to go. Yes, football is usually the, the drink of water after the long, hot summer of Nothing unless there's a World Cup. Neither you nor I are baseball fans, so pretty much when the NBA and the NHL ends, that is the dead drought of summer for us. So it's been a little bit different. I was watching hockey last night. I had to split screen it earlier tonight. I had the Knights and the Stars on one screen, and I had the football game on the other screen. But as awful as this year has been, man, what a time are we living in for sports right now. And football has joined the party. Uh, can I ask you a question about hockey? Yes. Has the playoff system uh, in the bubble for the NHL, what has the hockey been like in comparison to a normal NHL season? And the reason that postseason, and the reason I ask you that is uh, I have avidly been watching the NBA playoffs like I, I normally do. And bubble basketball has been like unexpectedly fantastic. Uh, the players aren't traveling. The quality of play has been insane. Uh, 
numerous games go down to the wire, buzzer beaters, 50-point performances. It's just been crazy. How has it been in the NHL? It has been a lot of the same. So my beloved Blue Jackets played a five-overtime game. Oh, wow. Uh, about a month ago. Yeah, they played eight periods of hockey. The game started at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I put the kids to bed, and I think it ended – in the nine o'clock hour at some point. So it, it was a full day of watching hockey, but the quality of play in the NHL bubble has been again, su- surprisingly great. And so the NHL took a little bit different. I know the NBA kind of finished out the regular season to set the 16 team field. The way the NHL worked was they had a play in of, so they had the top eight teams moved on automatically. And then they had the next 16 played a play in round of a five game series to get down to the field of 16. That was amazing. There was kind of mayhem going all over the place with that. And then, I mean, it's, it, if you don't look in the stands and notice that there were no fans there, it would be no different than a normal playoff season. And the unique thing about the NHL bubble. So the NHL actually has two bubbles. There's one in, there was one in Toronto and then one in Edmonton where they had the conferences separated. So the NHL is now down to the conference finals rounds and everyone has moved into the Edmonton bubble. So the teams from the East just moved into that Edmonton bubble earlier this week. And then that series, that Eastern conference final series is underway as well. So a little bit of uh, probably disorienting for those teams moving from the East to the West, but the NHL bubble has held 100%. There have been no positive tests since the beginning. So from a health perspective, it's doing great. And from a hockey perspective, it is fantastic. Well, that's great to hear. Uh, the NBA has also not had any positive tests as far as I know of. So that makes me curious as to if we if we start getting closer to NFL playoffs and COVID is a problem for those teams. If Granted, it's for many, many more players. But I wonder if the NFL, they certainly have the money to create a bubble or several bubbles. Um, and I'm wondering if given how well it's worked for the NHL and the NBA, if that might be something they consider uh, as they approach the end of the season. I would imagine that that would have to be something that you would look at as you get towards the end of the season. If COVID is any sort of a problem as the season goes on, and it's hard to believe that it won't pose at least some sort of challenge. Yes. Especially if you consider baseball, which did not bubble. Um, and I, and while I don't follow baseball uh, and I have no idea if they've had any issues uh Recently, I know the start of the season with the Miami Marlins, uh, the Philadelphia uh, team as well. I do believe they had quite a bit of issues with COVID. So, um, yeah, I'll be curious to see what they do. They could always play in Detroit. Uh, Do you think we could sneak into the bubble? We could give it a shot. All right. We'll We'll have to take that offline. All right, Andy. So, as we said kind of in our episode zero, football is something that unites the two of us when it comes to sports. Uh, normally we are not this cheerful when we're uh, going back and forth about basketball and hockey, but where did your love of football originate? So that's an interesting question. I wasn't really a huge football fan until college. I enjoyed watching. I mean, I know we, we talked about high school and I enjoyed watching the high school games that we went to, but I would say it was really senior year of high school when the decision was made that we were going down to Ohio state I didn't watch a whole lot of college football before that. I didn't honestly have much of an opinion on Ohio State versus Michigan until I decided I was going to Ohio State. Yeah. Um, like, you, like you said, once you get on campus, it's a whole nother, it's a whole nother beast as far as, you know, how you feel about 
college sports. Uh, we'll get into it a little bit later, but I can brainwashing is really the only word that I can use to describe it. Um, you know, we were there a week early before everyone else was, and you just had people yelling OH at you, uh, you know, just complete strangers, you know, from, you know, a hundred yards away, they're yelling at you. And, you know, it only takes a couple of weeks before you just automatically, you know, give that IO back and, and it's all downhill from there. So for me, uh, football started a little earlier for me. Uh, my dad is a big football fan. He's a New England Patriots fan. Uh, he at least is from uh, Maine and New Hampshire. So he has an honest uh, attachment to that team. And so I played, I played football in fifth grade. I played uh, all the way through freshman year. And again, play is a relative word. Uh, you know, when you're in junior high, you know, most people get uh, on the field a little bit and I did somewhat. Um, but freshman year, it was basically just a way that I could meet a bunch of people in our class. I never even, you know, was close to sniffing the field. I didn't have any problem with that. And uh, it was very clear, um, you know, almost the first day that I stepped foot on the football field in high school that uh, I was not going to be continuing playing uh, down the line. Incredible speed. You're just a little bit undersized. (laughs) Yes. And what what Andy means by that is the exact opposite. Uh, Pretty good size and uh, zero speed uh, whatsoever. Um, So, yeah, football, it it is interesting. I mirror you in the sense that I played – I never had a passion for the sport when I played. Uh, I'm a pretty, I I think most people would say I'm a pretty laid back, easygoing guy. I don't have a killer instinct, especially uh, when it comes to being on the athletic field uh, to any particular degree. I I would say in in our experiences playing together that it is mostly true. Although I think we've probably also thrown hands a couple of times on the football field, but to be fair, I think it was only ever at each other, never with anyone else. Yeah, uh, that's that's definitely for sure. There is a couple instances I certainly remember, uh, but that was definitely not a an athletic. Uh, you know, I want to crush you. I'm the superior player who wants to win. It was more. Yes, I am a very competitive person, um, but I never had the drive to you know go out and kill somebody on the football field, take their head off, bury them into the ground. Uh, that really wasn't something I ever acquired. Uh, much to my uh, dad's uh, uh, shock and uh, dismay, I would say, uh, as I was growing up. So it just wasn't the sport for me. Um, when I was younger, um, I would say that quickly changed once we got onto Ohio State's campus. You and I lived in the same dorm freshman year, and there was a group of people that we were able to cajole into uh, getting pretty consistent, I would say maybe, I don't know, two to four times a week we would go out and and, and play football uh, with the people in our dorm. And it ended up being one of the hallmarks of us being at Ohio state. Absolutely. That was, that will be one of the things that I remember most about our time there. The group would change in membership over the four years, but there was a core of, I'd say probably six of us that were all four years out there, rain, shine, snow, mud, whatever it may be. We were out there having a good time. Yeah, so I mean, the great thing about being on a college campus, especially one with 40,000 people, is there's always somebody around that's up for whatever you want to do. In this case, it was play football. Um, And it was really just a chance for us to, you know, go out, blow some steam, you know, maybe hit somebody that was kind of irritating you that week. 
Uh, you and I had that uh, quite a bit over the course of our four years. We were just on each other's nerves. Um, and it was really just a, a fun way to go out there, blow some steam, and, and uh, have a good time. Absolutely. All right, Andy. So you and I, we played football on a lot of different places uh, on Ohio State's campus. Um, and for pretty much every place that we played, we named that field, named that, that patch of grass that we played football on. And so when we would decide, you know, who was going to play, where were you going to play, it was always which field are we going to play on. Um, so we're going to play a little bit of a game. I have not prepped for this game, even though I came up with it, which is kind of silly and indicates how busy my week has been. Because uh, I want to crush you on this, but I don't know if I will. Uh, we're going to go ahead and trade the names of all the places that we played football on Ohio State's campus. So give the name of the field and then maybe an explanation of where it was on campus. Uh, and then the first person who can't come up with a, a field name is the loser. The other person is the winner of this game. Do you want me to start? I will let you start. Start out, uh, start out with the obvious one to give our listeners – a chance at the place that defined uh, our Ohio State uh, experience, and then we'll go. We'll go from there. The Mac Daddy of them all, the Holy Temple, the Holy Grail of football fields on Ohio State's campus. I know they got that big stadium over by the river. It's got nothing on the original tree field. Okay, Andy, where is the tree field? The tree field is off of Twelfth Avenue where you go down the hill towards the oval. You got Orton Hall kind of on your right-hand side, and there is just a beautiful patch of unlevel grass. The field is some sort – I don't know my shapes very well, but it's some sort of a trapezoid. It's not the least bit rectangular. There's a sewer grate in the middle of the field, but, man, we claim that patch of grass is our own. Yes, that was the, that was the go-to field. Uh, when we were at Ohio State. We'll share some stories about that uh, field later later in the show, um, but that is that is the hands down the number one pick. Um, so the second field I'm going to go with, uh, it's a field we didn't play on very often, but it's you know one of the defining uh, characteristics of Ohio State's campus. We would, pay, we would play games on the Oval. We did play there. So the Oval is you know at the center of Ohio State's campus, uh, it is a very large field that is, uh, you know, has a bunch of sidewalks crisscrossing through it. There are also not very many stretches of rectangular grass that have a good uh, football field on, but some of them are so big that you can kind of just arbitrarily mark out uh, what end zones would be. Um, so we did occasionally, especially when we were hosting people from other dorms and we needed a common place to play, the Oval would occasionally be a place that we would play. For the next field, I will give a shout out to our dear friend Zach Woods, who always wanted to play at the Riverfield. Ooh, sneaky. This is good. The Riverfield was between the towers. I'm honestly with the uh the river project they've done down there, I'm not sure that the Riverfield exists anymore in the state that it was that we played in. But it was a big it's kind of like a, a natural bowl where the the grass would go down. So you were, you were playing a little bit sunk below where the sidewalks would be. And then you had the Olentangy River off to, I would call it the, the left-hand side, I guess, depending on which side of the field, because you would play parallel to the river. 
but we had that was where I feel like we would play some big eleven on eleven games with full lines because that was definitely one of the biggest fields that we played on. Yes, so I believe I think that was by Moral Tower. It was by one of the two West Towers, Lincoln or Moral. Um, like you said, it was right up against the river. Uh, we definitely played at least one game with full lines on there with uh, uh, with Jock. You remember Jock and his boys? I do remember it. They were some real football players. I remember getting crushed playing those guys. And, uh, you know, playing lines. Luckily, we had a few people who played line in high school because most of the time, you know, you want to be the person, you know, throwing the ball, going out there, being a receiver, catching the ball. Um, but we had a couple big dumb linemen. Um, I would be on there from time to time. Um, and, yeah, if we wanted a game of lines, that field was really good. Um, I feel like it was pretty underrated as a football field, and we didn't utilize it very often, but it was long, rectangular, um, and we had some good games there. All right. Um, for my next pick, I'm going to take the turf field. Easy pick. So the turf field is uh, on the way. If you're walking towards the RPAC, you're walking towards the West Towers. Um, it's over in that general vicinity. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, soccer and ultimate Frisbee played on those fields. Uh, but every so often we would take a stroll over there. Um, the best, the best turf field story is when uh, a guy named Michael, who lived on our floor, uh, he was a soccer player. He was chasing down somebody <laughs> who was carrying the ball and he just straight up red card slide tackled the dude from behind. Um I never really seen anything like that on a football field before. It was definitely worthy of a, a, a thrown punch or two. Uh, but, uh, you know, tr- uh, the turf field is really bad on your knees um, if you get tackled on it. I mean, turf is just kind of a pretty rough surface. But we had some fun games on the turf field. Has to be one of the top three hits all time. And in every backyard game that we played, man, that's, that is one of the memorable, I don't even know if calling it a hit or a tackle is the right thing to call it, but that was memorable. Cheap shot, I think is the word that you're looking for. Beautifully done though. Absolutely a red card. (laughs) (laughs) Just straight from behind, but it, the technique was there. All right, boss, you're out. For, for my next field, I'm going to choose the field of nightmares. The Field of Nightmares. Give me the Field of Nightmares because I'm drawing a blank on this one. The Field of Nightmares is on the South Oval past the between like the Honors House and I'm trying to think like diagonally. I can't remember the name of the the music building. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do know. I'm blanking on the name, but I do know which building you're talking about. It became known as the Field of Nightmares because we started a game with like halfway lines there. It was first or second year. Um, a lot of big dudes, though. And there were sticks everywhere. It was cold. Mm. It may have been snowing. And there were like sticks buried in the snow. So people were getting tackled and then getting impaled on sticks. So I believe it was Scooter that dubbed that the Field of Nightmares. Okay, I'm going to throw in the towel. I was going to say the South Oval Field, but I feel like that's uh, getting stepped on by Field of Nightmares. Uh, so I'm going to concede this game to you. Do you have any other fields that were on your list? The, the Field of Dreams, which was another South Oval Field okay. that we moved to after the game at the Field of Nightmares. And it was a similarly sized and shaped field, but it did not have sticks buried in the snow. So that one became known as the Field of Dreams. Okay, so if you... Uh... 
ever need somebody to teach a course on South Oval Fields at Ohio State, uh, Andy is your guy. Um, Patches of grass that may or may not even still exist from our time back then. The only game that I really remember on the South Oval is there was one game that we played in the freezing cold where the ground was literally cement. Uh, It was so frozen and... Um, I don't know what I had done to earn his uh, wrath, but our friend Jason was pretty upset with me for some reason. And this dude was huge. He was just, you know, he was a very nice person, but he was a gorilla. And he threw me into the ground so many times. I eventually just, I had enough of it. I was just done. While we're talking, Jason, though, all-time hit... (laughs) in tree field history <laughs> was Jason blowing up John, right? Yes. Oh man. Yes. There was one game where I thought literally Jason had ended our buddy John's life. Uh, he just annihilated him. I think for a minute, John thought that his life was over. Yes. Uh, he, he saw Jason bearing down on him and he actually yelled, Oh shit. Right before <laughs> he got laid out. Oh, so other memorable moments, uh, particularly on the tree field, which again was our go-to field right over by Mirror Lake. Um, uh, We once had an ambulance come down. Uh, Andy, do you want to tell that story? Do you remember that? Yeah, that was a good story. So it was a a fairly innocuous thing that happened. Uh, A guy, they didn't normally play with us, but he came out for a couple of games. Good guy, just wasn't one of the regulars. So one of the one of the I guess one of the things that I didn't note when I was describing the Holy Temple, the one and only tree field, is that there it was so named because there were two large trees on the right hand side of the field. So this guy goes to catch a pass, turns for the ball, and just gets blown up by the tree. Just smokes his head into the tree. He's on the ground, kind of dazed, and we're like, "Dude, are you all right?" So he he's trying to kind of get himself back up and. He's not talking 100% right. I mean, something is clearly wrong. And I don't, some lady comes comes over and just says, is that guy all right? I'm like, yeah, I think he's fine. We'll take care of it. And she says no and pulls out the phone and calls 911. So at that point, we just have our buddy stay down on the ground and the ambulance drives straight out onto the field, picks him. I don't think the ambulance took him, right? No, I don't think, I don't believe they did. But he, he ended up going to the emergency room. I think there was no concussion, but he separated a shoulder out of the whole incident. I mean, we had people come from the South Oval who were like, we heard that collision. And, like, that's a good, I don't know, what, 50, 75 yards maybe from from where we were? Um, yeah, it, it was a ways. It was quite a ways. Um, <laughs> just, dude, uh, First rule of football, always got to have your head on a swivel. Um, and, he, and he did not. Um, so that was definitely a, a notable notable story. My favorite tree field story, I think. I mean, there are so many, but the one that jumps out to me when I was thinking of this was we were all, we had a big group of people. We were playing football. It started raining. The tree field became very muddy. Our game of football pretty much devolved into just hit the person with the ball. Um, and we were just, you know, we had a great time. Um, we were all walking back to our dorm. We're covered head to foot in mud. Swamp uh, monsters. We are swamp monsters at this point. Um, so we're walking up to our dorm. And I look over my shoulder and there's 
a car that's backing out of the parking lot right in front of our dorm. And the person in the passenger seat taps the driver on the shoulder and points at us, you know, probably to say, look at those guys. Like what the hell happened? The driver of the car looks at us and backs right up into the Tarta bus. That's, uh, or the Coda bus or bus. cabs bus. Thank you. Uh, we had two, two bus lines on campus, right backs right up into the bus <laughs> while they're watching us. And literally, I just bent over. I just could not stop laughing at how ridiculous this was. We went on, uh, you know, most of us were from the fourth floor. We went on to like the third floor guys side of the dorm and we destroyed all of their showers, washing off the mud, went back up to our floor. It was one of the better nights I spent at Ohio State. You know, there's a picture of that somewhere. We should dig up the picture of us as Swamp Monsters and throw it in the show notes if we can. Yes, uh, that uh, we'll put that on the show's Twitter. Uh, that was really just, we are covered head to toe. That was a great, great night and really uh, indicative of some of the best games that we played on the tree field. That, that picture is absolutely iconic. That is one of those moments that when you look at that picture, you feel the time that we had on campus that that's one that really just emotionally resonates with me every time I look at it a great night a great story to cap it off just a perfect situation sucks for the guy that backed into the bus I'm sure it probably wasn't a memorable night for him but (laughs) man we had a good time Mm. all right so we're on campus we're playing a lot of football you know with quotation marks obviously nothing competitive but certainly having a good time um but we're also fans, you know, at Ohio State. You know, you come on campus, uh, everything is scarlet and gray. Um, I remember my freshman year, the first and only time it was it, it was Beat Michigan Week. Uh, during Beat Michigan Week, all of the M's on uh, the campus uh, signs that tell you what building you're going into, all the M's get taped over. Um, I really didn't understand. Uh, what the week was all about i was just out walking it was a normal fall day and i was just wearing a pair of blue uh like breakaway pants you know just you know something coming back from class or whatever and i had people just booing me in the oval and i was like what is going on like i'm wearing an ohio state hoodie i looked down and you know i got blue and there's a little bit of yellow in these pants and i'm like oh okay like this is the level that we're talking about when we talk about Ohio State football, and particularly the rivalry with Michigan. I remember that moment as well. I think I joined in on the booing at that at that point. <laughs> that sounds likely. Um, so <clears throat> we told you guys how we, you know, got some dicey tickets to go to our first Ohio State game versus Cincinnati our freshman year. Um, not going to step on uh, uh, something that we have coming up later in the show, but I would say, you know, being in the stands was really just uh, a great experience as a college student. Um, it definitely varied from year to year for me. Uh, you know, freshman year, it's your first year. You get caught up uh, in all the, the the crowd craziness when you're at the games. I went to all of the home games that year, even, you know, against lowly, you know, Bowling Green and the really small schools that we we're killing by halftime. Um, our freshman year is – one versus two, Ohio State versus Michigan. We have tickets to that game. Um, really just one of the, you know, probably the best uh, athletic event I've ever attended and maybe will ever attend. Um, and so we got that going on. Um, I've sat in a whole bunch of places 
uh, in the stadium. You know, we had our, our tickets in the student section in the south uh, in the south end zone. Uh, I've sat at the 50-yard line with, uh, from my friend's grandma's tickets. I've sat up in the box and shook uh, Archie Griffin's hand and saw the governor with one of my other friends who was extremely well-connected. Um, but really, no matter where you're sitting in the stadium, uh, you're going to have a great experience at the game. Absolutely. So the biggest fandom story um, from our time at Ohio State, Michigan, I would, or at Ohio State, um, I would say, is do you remember when we camped out for game day? I do. We thought that was a great idea <laughs> until about 10 o'clock the next morning. Easily one of the five worst decisions I made while I was at Ohio State. You know, so we're freshmen. It's 2006. Uh, it's one versus two. It's it's going to be amazing. It was amazing. Game day's coming uh, to Columbus. And we're like, oh, hey, let's go camp out. We'll try to be in the very front uh, for game day. Andy, take it from there. So I think the beginning of that – actually, I want to go back a little bit to the story of how we got Zach into the game. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So we had a buddy that went to the University of Toledo, and he's probably a bigger Ohio State fan than I am. He certainly was then. So we had a buddy, Zach, who went to the University of Toledo, and he's probably a bigger Ohio State fan than either one of us, and he definitely has the longest tenure because he was hardcore before we were. So we knew we couldn't go to one versus two without getting Zach into the stadium somehow. So my roommate was potentially thinking about selling his ticket because tickets were going for, like, funny money at this point for one versus two. I mean, Mm -hmm. thousands of dollars. Yep. So thank God Nintendo came out with the Wii shortly before the game. And this dude really wanted a Wii. So we were able to trade him the MSRP of a Wii at the time, which was $300 for a ticket to get Zach into the stadium. Yes. And that ticket was a hundred dollars from you, a hundred dollars from me and a hundred dollars from our buddy. So uh, taxpayers of Ohio, I just want to remind you some of your money went to go towards a ticket towards the one versus two game. So you're welcome. Zach pays a lot of taxes now. So I think he is, uh, (laughs) I think he's paying that back in spades to the taxpayers of Ohio. Yes. Okay. So we get Zach a ticket. Yeah. So I think the story really started there in in the lead up because he's a part of the story, obviously. So the the Friday night before the game, I guess the story starts with we're going to camp out and we're planning on grilling I, burgers, something for dinner, and then probably breakfast as well. And no one has a grill. So it <laughs> no. starts with hitting up, I don't know, what was it, three or four Walmarts in the greater Columbus area looking for a grill. Yep. So we eventually find the grill. We head down there, get camp set up, fire up the grill make what we think are decent burgers. (laughs) They are completely raw in the center. Zach takes a bite, starts throwing up into the Olentangy from the raw meat immediately. So we're not off to the greatest of starts. Okay. I want to add some very important context here. You have to camp out to get these amazing seats for game day. It is pitch black. We cannot see anything as we're doing this. And we probably got down there at what? 10 o'clock the night before I would say. Yes. It's freezing. Um, we're grilling. We can't see how cooked the meat is uh, when we're making these hamburgers. 
But, you know, we did not really prepare great. Uh, people are getting hungry. Uh, so we, so uh, we end up cooking these burgers. I think I have one, maybe. Um, as you say, Zach immediately throws up into the river. Um, I get some shitty amount of sleep that night, laying on the cold, hard ground, um, trying to stay warm. Um, and so we, we wake up. Finally, it's time, right? This is going to be this glorious experience. We get, you know, we're, we're very off to the side, but we are pretty close to being in the front row of, of people who are there. And, you know, we're standing there, we're listening to Kirk and Corso and everybody, Desmond Howard, booing Desmond Howard every time he talks. Uh, we're trying to get Herbie to give the IO and we're yelling OH at him. He finally does at one point. We're getting all the way to the end where we get picks. Uh, you know, we, you know, we're going to see who Corso is going to put the headgear on. And it's just like out of a movie. Like I know me and our buddy Obi, like I just get this wave of nausea go through my body. Um, and luckily for game day, I don't know if they still do this, but you get the orange construction hats for Home Depot. And I took my construction hat and I threw up all into it. And so did Nick. I did not throw up in my construction hat and it's still hanging in the garage at my parents' house. <laughs> oh, mine is in a garbage uh, landfill somewhere because I, I, oh, it was, it was awful. So we stay up pretty much all night, uh, you know, very shitty sleep. We, you know, food poison ourselves. Um, there's a picture from that game where we're sitting in the stands waiting for the game to get going. And I am just, I have my, my cheek on my, on my hand. I'm just fighting to stay awake. Uh, my, our buddy Nick is doing the same thing. Um, and it was just a miserable, completely miserable, uh, you know, 12, uh, 16 hours until the game actually starts. That's another one of those iconic pictures. I think they may have actually been at halftime. And I think Obi is, I think Obi is asleep. Yeah, I mean it was it was rough, but when the game was actually going on, uh, I'm uh, I'm sure we'll touch on that uh, in a little bit. Uh, that game was just it was a magical night. It was great. That was the first time I believe that the game was played not at noon. That was a three thirty kick. Yep, because it was dark by the end of that uh, end of that game. That was dark by the end of halftime in November. Yeah. Um. So we have this great, uh, you know, freshman year where. We're going to a lot of the games. I would say by junior, senior year, I buy season tickets. I scalp most of my tickets. I keep the really good games. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to make a shit ton of money because I'm still going to the good games. Um, but I'm selling uh, my $30 student tickets for $100, $120 in pop, um, you know, during my junior and senior year. Uh, definitely, I'm not going to the shitty games. Um and, you know, we're watching a ton of college football at this point. Um, but over the years since we've left Ohio State, I would say it's definitely been a pendulum from leaning more towards college football to the NFL and back again. You want to walk me through that for you? Yeah, so leaving, I think, I don't know if mine's been a pendulum as much as it's probably just been a steady decline of my college football watching and a steady probably ramping up of my NFL watching. I for me, it just comes down to a time factor. 
college football was great. I absolutely enjoyed the experience, but man, I just do not have four hours to sit down and watch a game anymore. Yeah, I mean, the way the clock is handled really can just make for some excruciatingly long games. So I would say I followed college really closely till maybe 2014, the championship year. Into 2015, I was watching every Ohio State game still. When the babies started to be born, I guess I personally with my my college football watching got a little bit like you were with your tickets of I'll I'll hit the highlights, but man, I just can't get up to watch us kill Illinois by 45 points, you know, and have that be my entire Saturday afternoon. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, that totally makes sense. I mean, for me, uh, I married somebody who like our buddy Zach might have, might actually be a bigger Ohio state fan than I am. She's been diehard. Uh, through and through. Uh, so it, it doesn't matter for me on Saturdays, the Ohio State game is going to be on. doesn't matter what I'm doing. Um, our weekends get planned around that as much as possible. Um, so I'm still, I would say through, uh, I've really been watching uh, quite a bit of college football consistently uh, since I left Ohio State. Um, there's certainly been long stretches um, of my career where I've worked a lot of weekends, just being salaried and trying to keep my head above water. And, you know, I would certainly miss games. Uh, you know, those 12 o'clock Mac games would not really be a priority if I had to go in and get some work done. Uh, but I've been pretty consistently trying to watch uh, all the games as much as I could. I still get fired up. I still am on pins and needles for those big games. Um, but, you know, obviously you're never going to have the the same fire that you did when you're on campus with 40,000 other people, when you're in a stadium with 100,000 other people. Um, but I would say I've, I've held pretty steady. And then for NFL, uh, some years I'm in and some years I, I just couldn't uh, care too much. Uh, like I said, I believe in the first episode, uh, I grew up in Maine until I was six. My dad was not successful in indoctrinating me uh, to love the Patriots. And in fact, one of my first football memories is rooting for the Packers the year that uh, Brett Favre and the Packers beat the Patriots in that super, whatever Super Bowl that was, uh, kind of just to spite him uh, as a little kid. Um, so I've definitely watched a good amount of NFL, but we moved to Toledo, Ohio. Detroit sucked. Cleveland sucked. Cincinnati sucked. Um, they all still do. They all still do. Uh, that's been pretty consistent in our lives. Um, so I never attached myself to a pro team. I still have not attached myself to a pro team. I have a couple Lions shirts, and my wife and I go to the Lions-Packers game now for the last couple of years. Um, but I, I could not give a shit if they win or lose. Um, NFL is really about fantasy football for me. I think that's part of the draw to the NFL for me, the older I've gotten, is – I don't really have a team either, so it's easy watching. There, there is no emotion in it. It's just, eh, yeah, I can watch this. I can be entertained with it, and I don't really care who wins or loses. So d- I would definitely agree with that. Um, for the years that we've had Red Zone, Red Zone is just a godsend. Like, uh, sh- I would watch that over, you know, real games. Again, not having a team uh, all day, every day, um, and it, you know, really. Uh, sucks up most of the Sunday afternoon and then you can sit down and watch those primetime games Sunday night, Monday night. Um, 
fantasy is just another way for me to be competitive. Um, and I certainly uh, enjoy all the machinations that go into that. Um, but really, you know, if you said go without the NFL and get X some kind of reward or bonus, I could easily go without the NFL. Yeah, as much as I enjoy watching football on Sundays, I, I think for probably even a moderately sized reward, I would also be on board with that. And it's just, I mean, it's really hard as a dad. Like, you know, if you want to say, I'm going to watch college and pro, I can't park my ass on a couch for, you know, six hours straight on Saturday and Sunday. That's just not a, a real way to live my life. Even with my wife liking football just as much as I do, you know, we still have family to see, uh, you know, when we are allowed to travel to actually see family uh, on a consistent basis. Our kids are doing activities, uh, you know, there's chores and trying to keep the house clean. Uh, it's just not feasible to say I'm going to spend both days sitting on the couch watching football. For me, it's a choice of I can spend Saturday watching Ohio State and the big SEC game and then the late game. Um, and then Sunday, I'm kind of just in and out or vice versa. And for me, that's more often than not been college football. I like the idea of uh, sitting down and watching the primetime college football games in the evening, but I typically don't make it awake past the first quarter. I'm getting to be an old man these days. Yes, I mean, it's definitely gone from the whole game to if I can make it to halftime. And then sometimes it's just, well, if I fall asleep in the first quarter, it is what it is. Absolutely. We're getting old. All right, Andy. So you, we've given the, the listeners a backstory about why we love football. Uh, we're going to transition uh, to do another list. So we're going to do two lists today. Uh, our first list, uh, we're doing best on the field Buckeye moments from 2006, the year that you and I were freshmen at the Ohio State University on. So for this list, I'm going to take the lead. I'm going to walk you through uh, the five best moments for me. Um, I'm certain that I left some big moments uh, off my list, but these just really, when I sat down to do this, these were the first ones that popped into my head. Um, And you and I kind of talked it through and we agreed on these lists. Um, So I'm going to count them down from five to one. Uh, Later in the show, we'll have a second top five list that I'm sure most Ohio state fans will be able to guess what is the yang to this yin. So uh, without further ado, my, our top five Buckeye moments from 2006 on. It's the list of the week. So number five on our list, uh, what you have titled Cardale is Wisconsin's daddy. That would be 2014 when Cardale Jones I'm just going to go out here. My favorite Buckeye of all time. The absolute showman. He ain't come there to play school. He came there to play football. Yeah, so that is our introduction to Cardale Jones in an ESPN story. Uh, Cardale Jones, I didn't come here to play school. I don't know how many times in my life I've said that phrase. Um, Really, I need to, you know, send some cash his way because that's been a staple in my vernacular. Um, but Cardale Jones is in 2014, he's the backup to JT Barrett. We play Michigan and what I believe was actually a close game that year, relatively contested, uh, JT Barrett breaks his ankle. 
Um, and you know, it's, it's sad. Um, but at the same time, we're like, okay, we at least got to beat Michigan. Our playoff hopes are probably mostly done. Uh, you know, we're going to play Wisconsin. Wisconsin is a pretty good team, uh, but at least we beat Michigan and we, you know, go to the big 10 uh, conference game. We play Michigan. We come out guns blazing from the very beginning, 59, zero Wisconsin suck on these nuts. Cardale Jones. Did you know that he graduated in 2017? First of all. So I do want to give an absolute shout out. And I read that and I was so excited to see that, that after all of the controversy with, with him saying he didn't come there to play school. He did end up playing school and he graduated in 2017. Way to be Cardale. Way to be. Man, he came slinging the ball. That dude could throw it a mile. I, I don't think anybody had an idea what to expect. And that was the absolute best coming out party. And I hated Wisconsin almost as much as I hated Michigan at that point in my Ohio State watching career. Because we had had – we didn't really struggle with Michigan at the time that we were at Ohio state. And I'm all right with saying that, but Wisconsin was, Wisconsin was our nemesis when we were the time that we were at Ohio state that Terrell Pryor lost against Wisconsin when we had a really good team. I can't think of what was that? Maybe 2008, 2009. Yeah. I hated Wisconsin. So to see Cardale come out and do what he did and dismantle Wisconsin, loved it. Loved the way he played the game, loved just the passion, the attitude. Thought he was the most entertaining player of our time there. What a coming out party. Loved watching Cardale crush Wisconsin. Yeah, so this game ends up being somewhat of a drawback the next year. Um, obviously, we'll take the final result of what the season yielded 10 times out of 10. But the next season, Cardale's back. Cardale has just won the national title. JT Barrett was exceptional uh, the year that he the, the year that he got injured. He was definitely a quarterback who started out great and got worse as his career went on. In my opinion, uh, like significantly worse. Um, so that next year, you really had the controversy of like who should be the starting quarterback. Uh, Urban did a lot of like. 50-50 and alternating quarterbacks, and that was just a, you never do that. That was just a mess. Um, I know he had Tim Debo and Chris Leak, um, and so he had some experience kind of running that two-quarterback system, but it did not work for us at all. But it doesn't matter. You take the Wisconsin game, you take the next two games, 10 times out of 10, uh, and that was a really great game. Absolutely. Okay, so number four on the list. Um, we have B Michigan in 2012 to go 12-0, and – this really is less about the actual game itself, which really I did not remember too much of. This was a Braxton Miller team. Uh, this was, what, 26-21 uh, versus Denard Robinson and the Michigan team. Um, not a whole lot that I actually remember in this game, but it's more about the circumstances around the team that year. Yeah, so that's a game that I was at. I went to the that game with the Twins. Um so I think part of that comes for me that maybe it was a little bit personal because just being in the stands, went down on the field, that was something we decided not to do in 2006. And I, I certainly regretted it. I don't know how you feel about our decision not to go down on the field after that game. Yes, that was definitely one of the many instances in my life where I played it too cautious and decided not to go down on the field. 
So in a little bit of a personal level, I feel like that was kind of redemption for a bad decision I made in 2006. Uh, so we did end up on the field. Um, but that was the year of, of the kind of the Jim Trestle disaster. It was, or I guess it was the year after. It was the first year of Urban Meyer. We were ineligible for the Big, Champ- Big Ten championship game, ineligible for bowl games. So that was just kind of a big middle finger, I think, to the entire country of, sure, we can't go on, but we're going to go ahead and make a statement and win every game. And just putting the cherry on top, beating Michigan, a decent Michigan team, it doesn't get any better than that. Uh, It never gets better than me, Michigan. That's true. Uh, I'm going to take this opportunity to go on a soapbox for a little bit. Um, I, the Terrell Pryor... Jim Tressel, Sugar Bowl, we beat Arkansas, and then it comes out that we there's some impermissible benefits, and it ends up being that a, you know some number of Ohio State players traded their own personal possessions, their gold pants for beating Michigan, and a few other things to get tattoos and other perks for free. Uh, for anybody who actually thinks that's a real problem, I just want to say – what the fuck is your priority list? Why does that matter? Um, I So, again, I went to Ohio State on a full academic scholarship. I'm not saying it's 100% equivalent to what these football players are on, but I got money for room and board and books and walking around money. Um, so I had money from the school to just live on, and I had the scholarship, and when I had the scholarship, I could work. I could make as much money as I wanted to on the sign. I worked in the lab for a year and actually got paid for it. Um, Andy, how much do you think I actually contributed to Ohio State's bottom line in my four years when I was at Ohio State? I don't know how to answer that question without saying I don't have a clue. I, but I my think guess is zero. Zero <laughs> is my answer. I mean, sure, I am one of you know forty thousand students that they get to say, "Oh, look at our ACT scores." and look at our GPAs and look at the caliber of student we have. But I brought in zero money for the school. Um, Nobody on campus knows who I am. Uh, I get to make, I get to maximize my time there financially as best as I can. Um, And then you have these athletes who are making millions of dollars for the university. Not all of them, but collectively as a team, they're making millions of dollars for the university. And those people can't sell their own possessions to make money. Those people can't have the jobs that, you know, a normal college student would have. Uh, it's it's mind-boggling to me how uh, people say, oh, they get a free education and that's more than enough payment. Lots of people get free educations and they don't bring in their universities millions of dollars. Uh, so for all those people that think this is a major issue, I don't have any time for you. I think you're crazy. Just let these people make money off their name, off their likeness, pay them whatever title nine situation, uh, you know, that is agreeable and legal. Uh, I don't have any time for you. And that's my soapbox moment. Just remember that is the NCAA 100% the NCAA, not Ohio state, not the big 10. That is the NCAA, which is, we could probably devote an entire podcast, and maybe that's a decent idea, to the crimes of the NCAA. But that it's, is the NCAA making those rules to preserve 
an absolute monopoly they have on the supply of football players to the NFL. A hundred percent. And I mean, again, like vacating wins, like I was there, you know, I watched us beat Arkansas in the sugar bowl. I got to see us throw the sec monkey off her back a tiny bit. Um, at that point, it was kind of that first baby step. Um, and I'm sure all of the people who played in that game coached in that game, you can't vacating wins is nothing. Like you're going to tell Reggie Bush that he didn't actually win his Heisman. Like things happen on the field. You can't take those things away. Just the whole scenario. Um, and I was a critic of Trestle. I think he was too conservative. Um, you know, Urban Meyer, especially in his early days, really opened up the offense, brought us into the modern era of college football. But Jim Trestle was a wonderful human being. And just the fact that this was a real issue, we know that colleges are paying players. Um, I'm sure we'll get a tell-all book about Cam Newton and so many other players at some point about what actually happened. I just, this is not a real issue. When you say they get a free ride to go to school, they're not, a lot of them are not there for school. They're there to go to the NFL. They are employees of the university. They're not real student athletes. I just don't have time for your silly arguments. 100%. Okay. I'm glad I got that off my chest. Uh, Number three on our list. And it might surprise some people that this is that low. The national, the actual national championship game, 2014, when we beat Oregon uh, and win that sweet, sweet title. So I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but man, the game before that, what we did the game before we played Oregon, beating Bama, sending Nick Saban home early from the party. I think I'd have been all right if we'd have lost that. I'd have still been happy with that season if we'd have lost that game against a really good Oregon team. That was Marcus Mariota at the height of his college career. So that was a really good team, and I would have even, I think, been okay with losing that game. But, man, it felt good to win it. It did. Um, And really, um, I don't remember a lot about this game. I remember, I think, Bosa knocked Mariota out of the game at one point. Um, you know, we had already beaten Oregon in the Rose Bowl a couple years prior. So we kind of had known that, you know, we could stand up to the speed and, uh, you know, we could actually hang in this game. And like you said, I'm just going to jump straight to it, to number two. 85 yards to the heart of the South. Fuck Bama. Ezekiel, Ezekiel Elliott, let's go. Let's send Woo-hoo! Nick Saban home. Let's tell the SEC no national championship for you this year. This game was amazing. So a little bit of a personal backstory on this. I was absolutely sick as a dog for this game. I remember I had this crappy pull-out couch that I'm like falling asleep on because I'm just puking my guts out from I don't even know what. I think I had the flu. And I remember... I, I was awake for 85 yards, but the thing, the play from that game that I actually remember is Steve Miller picking off a pass, and I believe he took it to the house. Yeah, I think that's And right. I remember saying, Andy, that Steve Miller is a defensive end. There is no way you're awake. This is not happening. <laughs> I thought I was asleep on the couch because I just, I could hear it, but I didn't believe it. But what a game. Right, and I mean, again, the context of this, like Cardale, you know, quite a while ago because the gap between 
the Big Ten Championship and the actual semifinal is a pretty big gap. Cardell obliterates Wisconsin. But again, you think Saban has a ton of time to prepare for this guy. He knows that Cardale can sling it anywhere he wants to on the field. So you're not going to be taken by surprise like Wisconsin was. Um, you know, it's it's Alabama. It's Nick Saban. I mean, they're, you know, the number you, as much as I love Ohio State, you can't make the argument that they've been better than Alabama over this past decade or so, decade and a half. Um, and so they're the powerhouse. You know, we say, okay, we got our backup quarter quarterback in. This is where our season ends. We beat Michigan. We won the Big Ten Championship. This was a great year, even if we lose this game, and then we go on to win it um, in spectacular fashion, and it leads us to a national championship. Man, that was a good Alabama team, too. Just looking at the the, the people that scored in that game, Amari Cooper, TJ Yeldon, and Derek, I mean, Hen- Derek Henry, I think, was a freshman that year. What? What? You imagine T.J. Yeldon and Derek Henry? How good those guys were in college in the same backfield. Yeah, I mean, and, and that Alabama's used to having teams like that, and that doesn't even count the people who are on their defense and how many people they've had from their defenses go on to the NFL. Great um, moment. I'm going to spring this on you. Is Ezekiel Elliott the best player that you've watched play in an Ohio State uniform? Ooh, if the question is, so he's not my favorite, you know, as we said, Cardell was my favorite Mm -hmm. and I don't think he's the best player to play in an Ohio state uniform. If we're looking at players currently, because I think Michael Thomas who was also on that team is better, but for Ohio state in our time there. Yeah, it has to be Zeke. I mean, he just, when he was on the field, he did not look like he was a member of the human race that every other person on the field was. He was big, strong, and just could move like I'd never seen before. And it really irritated me, you know, in future games, we'd be playing Penn State, and they would say, oh, Saquon Barkley. Well, we shut his ass down, and nobody ever shut Zeke down uh, like we did Saquon Barkley. Ezekiel Elliott just amazing. His stupid half shirt always annoyed the shit out of me. Um, but when you got abs like that, show him, man. Do your thing. Um, and he just, I'm not, maybe he's not the best person that we saw on the field uh, since 2006. But I don't know if we've seen anyone demonstrably better than him in an Ohio State uniform. I feel pretty comfortable putting him as the top, at least, offensive player that we've seen since 2006. Because Michael Thomas, I feel like, really didn't sprout until he was in the NFL. Like, maybe it was just a function of the quarterbacks that we had at the time. Uh, but I would not have pegged him as a top five NFL receiver when he was in college. Not at all. He was good, but, and I mean, he, he had everything measurable. He had the size, he was fast, he had great hands, but I agree. He didn't have the quarterback play to be really, really impressive. It, almost like a Kelvin Johnson when he was at Georgia Tech type situation where there was nobody to throw him the ball. So he didn't blow up until he got to the NFL hanging out with a guy named Drew Brees. Ever heard of him? (laughs) Yep. Definitely. Megatron was amazing. Um, All right. So we've kind of already tipped our hand a little bit, but the number one moment, literally, I don't think this will, I will ever top this unless I go to an Ohio state national championship game that we win. 2006, one versus two. 
Ohio State beats Michigan 42-39. Uh, being in the stands, 100, 105, 110, whatever the number was, 1,000 fans screaming at the top of their lungs. The reason that college is always going to beat the pros for me is I've been to NFL games, and sure, people like their NFL teams. But to me, there's just nothing more special than, you know, it's your college, it's your alma mater, or it's the team you've been rooting for your entire life. And when you get those people in a, in a stadium that can hold significantly more people than an NFL stadium, it's just, it goes up to another level. Um, and this game is the ultimate um, embodiment of that for me. Yeah, I don't really have anything to add that, that we haven't already covered. It, it was an incredible game. I never knew that roughing the snapper was a penalty until <laughs> until that game. The, the drama right down to the end. I bet maybe it wasn't even the most dramatic Ohio State-Michigan game in the period that we're talking about. Um, that the, the thriller in Ann Arbor where Michigan went for two at the end may have actually been more dramatic. But, man, there was just so much on the line in 2006. And then, you know, a month or so later, the ultimate despair when we march out onto the field against Florida, Ted Gid runs back to opening kickoff and injures himself. And Florida says, hey, buddy, we're the SEC, and we're just better than you. And there were so – it was my freshman year. We're in the dorms watching the game. There's just people crying people drunk and raging and it's just it that was a bad night several years later uh was it what two years later we made the national championship against lsu yeah i think so and that that game didn't really bother me that was the year that like nobody could stay in the top two like number two just lost a million times and we had to have you know five things happen on the last weekend of the season for us to make the national championship game we weren't a very good team that year, and uh, and we deservedly lost. Uh, but the Florida game was really just crushing because we I thought we were the best team. We had you know we were one. We had beaten two. Michigan looked great. We'd beaten them. Um, Florida, you know, we were predicted to beat them by most most pundits, I believe, and just you know we came out flat and just got steamrolled, and that was really disappointed but nobody can ever take one versus two away from us never kind of just going into college football now um this is ever-changing so i'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this because by the time you actually hear this podcast things could be different again as of right now no big 10 no pac 12 no mac they've decided they're not playing football in the fall for now uh the acc big 12 and sec have all said yes Uh, We had our first set of games over Labor Day weekend, which is normally the kickoff for everybody um, for college football, including all of the Power 5 conferences. However, over Labor Day weekend, we had six games total. No Power 5 conferences played. Um, The ACC and Big 12 will start this upcoming weekend in week two of the season. The SEC does not start until week four of the season. So we're already feeling the effects of covid the season has uh, is going to start late for a lot of these conferences or not at all for the moment for some of them. So, Andy, what's just kind of your general impression of where we're at right now? I thought that the Big Ten was on the one-yard line, so this is news to me that they're <laughs> not playing. 
Oh, yes. Um, where's, where's the law and order in the NCAA? Yes, so I have a special uh, segment that I want to do here real quick. Um, Andy and I are big college football fans, but you know who's tweeted more about Big Ten football than us over these past couple months? That is the president of the United States. Donald. He doesn't have a lot going on right now. I'm sure he is looking for something to do. I, he probably does have the time on Saturday. You know, get out, play 27 holes in the morning, and then he's looking for something to do to fill his noon, 3.30, and 8 p.m. on ABC time slots. <laughs> I mean, don't forget about, like, squeezing in Sean Hannity uh, and Tucker Carlson as well. Um, but, yeah, so just a, just a quick rundown of the pressing issues that our president is dealing with right now on August 28th, uh, Donald Trump tweets with no reply. So I don't really know the context of this. No, I want big 10 and all other football football back. Now the Dems don't want football back for political reasons, but are trying to blame me and the Republicans. And he continues on and on and on. Um, on August 30th, uh, somebody tweets a picture of the first offensive play of college football this year. Donald Trump replies, play football Big Ten, exclamation point. That's it. Um, not relevant at all. Has not he ever to... heard of the Pac-12? <laughs> yes. So, Andy, why do you think uh, Donald Trump has not tweeted about the Pac-12 at all? I don't think he knows it exists. <laughs> well, okay. That's a very uh, logical um, conclusion based on the fact that Donald Trump's IQ seems to be in the basement. Um but somebody, I believe, I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, but somebody posed this to the Big 12, or excuse me, the Pac-12 commissioner. Why hasn't Donald Trump tweeted about you? And he said, well, there aren't any swing states in the Pac-12. I mean, that's, yeah, of course, that's the real answer, is that nobody is going to swing red out of the Pac-12. So since it's not to his political advantage, he doesn't care if the Pac- he doesn't care if the Big Ten plays. Right. I mean, there are a couple of schools in Arizona, and that's going to be definitely a, a toss-up state, but Pac-12 is overwhelmingly California, Oregon, Washington. None of those states are going to vote for Donald Trump. Donald Trump does know that football is a big part of the Midwest life, and if there's no football in Ohio, Michigan, Michigan. Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, that people are going to say, hey, you know, I can't just put my blinders on and pretend that COVID doesn't affect me. There's this thing that I look forward to on Saturdays in the fall that really is, you know, again, I'm not making fun of these people. Like I love football season. Football season is a time of the year uh, as much as, you know, summer or winter are um, as far as seasons. And, and I love it and I look forward to it. And if people don't have that release on the weekends, people are going to be upset and they're going to want to point a finger somewhere. If he can point that finger at the Democrats and get a bunch of people in Midwestern America to think that it, this is a giant Democrat plot to keep football away from them, he probably actually will pick up some posts with that, and that is sad. Um, Trump continu- continues on September 1st. Uh, Andy has already referenced this. Had a very productive conversation with Kevin Warren, commissioner of the Big Ten Conference, about immediately starting up football. Would be good, great for everyone. Players, fans, country, on the one-yard line. Andy. Are we on the one-yard line with having Big Ten football back? So I got to tell I don't think so. I don't follow it closely enough to know, but 
I still feel pretty comfortable saying no. But the first thing I thought of when I read that tweet was Pete Carroll was also on the one-yard line one time. <laughs> he did not hand the ball to Marshawn Lynch. He threw it. The rest is history. And that is all I could think of when I read the, on the one-yard line. I said, man, there's still a lot that can happen in that last yard. I would tell Donald Trump to ask Pete Carroll, but I doubt he's ever heard of Pete Carroll either. True. Um, and then finally, this was over Labor Day weekend. And really, I did not know that I was going to be reading my most up-to-date news about the Big Ten from the president. But he tweets, Big Ten football is looking really good, but may lose Michigan, Illinois, and Maryland because of those governors' ridiculous lack of interest or political support. They will play without them, question mark. I, 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 was there some conversation about those, you know, those governors would say no to football? I don't even know what he's talking about. I don't think it's a choice that governors are making. I think he's, it, it's his classic tactic of setting up boogeyman. I, that's, that's what the, uh, the commander in chief has to say about big 10 football. Um, I, I honestly, I have no idea if we're going to get it. You know, there's this, a swell of support for trying to start in the middle of October. Uh, the Ohio State football coach, Ryan Day, who I normally don't have anything bad to say about, released a statement today, basically saying that communication from the Big Ten has been very poor. Uh, you know, Clemson's going to be able to play. The ACC, the SEC are going to be able to play. Why can't we play? Look, I'm not going to make a judgment. I'm sure there are lots of people who – uh, you know, their future career is really uh, riding on being able to get out on the college football field and show how good they are, potentially get drafted and make themselves millions of dollars. The school, I'm sure, needs that money for their athletic department to keep the rest of the teams afloat. Um, I, there are lots of reasons to play college football. Um, I just haven't seen something that's medically backed that says, hey, you know, we've been able to keep this at a safe level where we're not going to be spreading COVID. We've seen tons of schools have widespread outbreaks on their campus. I just saw today, I believe Wisconsin is sending uh, people home and they're going to have virtual uh, class for at least the next two weeks. They've had a large uh, outbreak. Uh, I've seen football teams. I think Oklahoma and Auburn, Clemson have all had outbreaks on their teams where a whole uh, positions will get wiped out. Everybody in that position will, will have the coronavirus. Uh, I am an air on the side of not having football kind of guy. Um, I, if you can make a compelling case that football is safe to play, I will certainly listen to it. Um, but right now this certainly seems safe to me. Yeah. I can't disagree with that. I, I've been pretty conservative as far as everything. I'm definitely on the side of let's be cautious. And on this, I mean, I think the medical opinions are pretty clear. I don't think there's people out there, many people with legitimate credentials that are arguing for football. And I think it's, I mean, 2020 is a crazy year. I don't think just because everybody loves football, we should bring football back. A lot of people have lost a lot of things that they care about this year, including over – got to be closing on 190,000 Americans. Mm-hmm. We might have to go without football. And you know what? We'll be okay. Yeah, we will be okay. Um, you know, it's, it's horrible. Obviously, we would all love to have football. 
uh, start. I mean, like I said, I don't have that attachment to the NFL, but, you know, I live and breathe Buckeye football on Saturdays. And, you know, to not have that this year will certainly be a downer. Um, you know, who knows what's actually going to happen. We, we had the Ohio Attorney General today say that the state of Ohio or Ohio State, one of the two, could sue the Big Ten for millions of dollars uh, based on the lack of uh, having a football season and a sketchy decision-making that went behind that. Hopefully it will not come to that. Um, but, you know, the NFL is able to have a season because they acknowledge their business. They're going to sink millions of dollars in the testing and safety precautions. And, you know, they're not, they don't have to cling to the veneer of saying these are student athletes. Um, you know, they are a business and, you know, you can't tell me if Wisconsin's going to, you know, have virtual classes and say it's not safe to be uh, in class that you can send that football team out onto the field and, and call it safe. Like we P- university president said very early on, we can't have football if students aren't on campus in class. And while it seems like there's a lot of issues with having students on campus in class, how can you have football? I'm with you on that hundred percent. So we'll certainly see, we have no idea how long the football seasons, both pro and college are going to last if COVID will derail them, what teams are going to do when they have widespread outbreaks, if they're going to try and just reschedule games, if they will just play shortened seasons, how you determine uh, you know, who wins conferences and who goes to playoffs. If not, everybody's playing the same number of games. Uh, that's all to be determined. Um, but it's looking, it's looking dicey right now. For sure. All right, Andy, this is going to bring us to list number two so everybody knows that if you're an ohio state fan you have signed up to hate michigan for the rest of your life um and that's the varying degrees i don't hate michigan like i hate donald trump or hate real i don't hate them like i really hate people it's not a real hate it's sports hate um it's like it's lighthearted. Um, never in my life have I ever considered an Auburn, Alabama situation where I would go on to Michigan's campus and, and, you know, kill some trees and deface a real monument. Um, I did go to Michigan for a year of grad school and I did think about taking a piss right on their M logo in the middle of their, uh, university, but I didn't do that. Um, no, keep it classy. Uh, but you know, I, I sports hate them. It's so much fun to make fun of them. And just to make things easier, they've sucked for the past, you know, decade or so, at least. If you are one of those people that doesn't understand the concept that Josh is alluding to there of sports hate, and you actually hate somebody because of the sports teams they like, you are a psychopath, you are a terrible person, and stop watching sports if you actually want to fight people. Yeah, I mean, it's all good to just, you know, with some good-natured back-and-forth ribbing, but... You know, again, you know, there's no reason to get bent out of shape about it. You're not, you're not on the team. You're not down on the field. You're just a fan. Uh, it's one day. Yes, there have certainly been, you know, I'm dreading the day that, I mean, we will eventually lose to Michigan, theoretically. Uh, you know, history doesn't seem to show that. But at some point, we will lose to them again. And I will be miserable. Uh, I will, I'm sure I will get a ton of shit from a bunch of Michigan fans that I know. 
and I will have to, you know, grin and bear it. Um, but again, my life will go on. It's not, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, so again, people sports hate, not real hate. Um, but that but, moment is not here. We don't yes. have to worry about what it's going to feel like to feel to lose to Michigan. I think today we're going to talk about the top five Michigan fails from 2006 until today. So many to choose from Andy. I think our initial list was about 387 and we've pared it down to five. And really there's just, again, this is just five of our favorites that jumped out to us. This list is so long. I mean, I'm going to give just a couple quick runner ups. Uh, Michigan had a stretch uh, shortly after I believe 2006 when they were competitive where they just could not uh, have a kicker who could make a field goal of any length. Um, in particular, there was a Penn State game where, I don't know, there were, I think it went to triple overtime and there were three or four missed field goals. Um, they had, they've had some horrible luck. And really, you know, it's, it's one of the worst ways to lose when your, your team brings you almost to the finish line and your kicker just can't get it done. And they had years where they were like that. Man, I think, so, I, I think the kick was like 32 yards or something too. It was not a long one. Um, another runner up that I had, um, was our, our good friend, Denard Robinson, um, a running back, uh, that just happened to line up behind the center. Uh, this dude could not throw to save his life. And there was a game versus Iowa where they're right on maybe the three or four yard line. And it is just the height of incompetence, throw the ball into the ground, throw the ball over the receiver's heads. Just couldn't get it done couldn't make a pass all you had to do was put eight nine guys in the box this who could not be with his arm um and certainly there have been worse michigan quarterbacks than him but just the fact that he was so one-dimensional um it really was just a a caricature at that point you don't know what's funny though when he made it to the nfl and started playing running back for some reason i really rooted for the guy yeah, I, I mean, don't know he, if maybe it was just the joy he brought us of, you know, he let us get four easy wins off of him. But I actually liked the guy once he got to the NFL. Well, they put him at his correct position finally. Um, yes. you, you can't throw the ball, but that dude was fast. That dude was shifty. Uh, put him in that running back and let him go to work. All right, Andy, lead us off with number five. Number five, the existence of Brady Hoke. I mean, what can you say? I mean, this guy like this guy thought that calling us Ohio University was the height of disparagement. This is like, dude, what are you doing? What are you doing? I mean, to be fair, he had experience in rivalry games coming from Ball State. You know, they would play against Jesus, I don't even know who Ball State's rivals would be. I don't know. NIU, Toledo, BG. I mean, those are the good Mac teams. Yeah, I was just trying to think of a team that Ball State could even be. <laughs> yeah, um, I know. I mean, Michigan has had, uh, you know, Brady Hoke, Rich Rod, uh, Harbaugh. I mean, has there been anybody who you were like, since Lloyd Carr, has there been anybody who you were like, that's the guy who's going to lead us to the promised land? I know people thought that about Harbaugh, and maybe he will eventually get you there. But uh, so far, that is not the case. I think my favorite thing about Brady Hoke is Brady Hoke, to me, embodies the Michigan man. He had the Michigan beard. He had the wrinkly polo shirt. 
he was Michigan. When you look at Brady Hoke, you knew that guy was from Michigan. That dumb expression on his face. Just couldn't believe it as we beat his ass over and over again. All right. That was number five. How about number four? Number four, the night Jadavian Clowney got away with murder. <laughs> I actually think it was the afternoon. Yes, it, it was definitely the sun was shining. I don't, I think it was the Outback Bowl, maybe it was South Carolina versus Michigan. I don't remember which nameless Michigan running back it was, but Jadavian Clowney burst through the line. Through through the running backs to the ground in a way that just is a felony and took the ball and it was just this was this guy saying, Look, I'm done with these college fools. Sign me in the NFL. And by the way, if I have to kill a Michigan running back to do it, so be it. How many million dollars do you think Jadavian Clowney indirectly got off of that one hit? That was iconic. That is an iconic hit. That is like Reggie Bush swing pass when he played for the Saints and got absolutely demolished. Oh my goodness. Yes, that is an iconic hit in the history of football. Uh, I mean, you know, 10 million probably easily. I mean, this, the dude was, the dude was a stud in college. Uh, didn't even really like have to try a lot of his games. I know that was kind of a knock on him, but he was just so good. He just didn't want to get injured and, until he got drafted and made his payday. So um, if, he has to, if he has to go through a Michigan running back, all the better for us. Brings us to number three on the list, Sparty Block. Okay, this is my honest reaction when I looked at both of, the, of your notes for these lists. Uh, I thought this would be way higher uh, and maybe it was just based on the circumstances of, of how I watched this game, but I will occasionally just go on YouTube and watch and watch this clip and just laugh and laugh hysterically. I love, I love watching it when they have it transposed with the, what is it? The ESPN predictor or whatever, where it has the, the percentage <laughs> chance to win. And it's at like 99.9%. Oh, so again, to give you guys the context, I, if if you're familiar with either of, the, of these teams, you don't uh, need the context, but uh, Michigan is is playing Michigan State. They are up. All they need to do is just successfully execute a punt. Uh, even if they don't successfully execute it, they can probably just fall on the ball uh, and hold on and retain a victory. Uh, but they muff the punt. Michigan State recovers. The punter gets annihilated on the play. Michigan State returns it for a touchdown. Uh, I was watching this game over at my in-law's house. My brother-in-law is significantly younger than me. Um, So he was probably like early teens at this point. Uh, Very, you know, emotional, impressionable. Uh, And this happened if he stormed outside and went into the car to, you know, I'm not going to say if he cried or not. You know, that's not for me to say. Um, But I was just (laughs) rolling maniacally on the couch, just, unbelievable like you could not have written this up in any more of a hilarious way what a moment again iconic iconic michigan moment you have one job you drop the ball and it's particularly special because michigan loves to lord over michigan state and call them little brother um, and act like they're the superior football program and sure historically they have been but if you want to talk about lately, you are behind Wisconsin, you are behind Penn State, 
you are behind Michigan State most years, and you are certainly behind us, uh, you know, to the point where, you know, yes, we're still going to call this a rivalry, but the other team has to win sometimes for it to be a rivalry, uh, and Michigan has not upheld their end of the bargain. So uh, this this moment, this would be – uh, this would actually be my number one, honestly, probably because of the circumstances under which I watch it. But uh, go check this out on YouTube if you need a uh, boost in your day. Amazing. We'll, we'll throw that link in the show notes as well. <laughs> if you, Also, if you are a Michigan fan that still wants to call Michigan State little brother, after that that moment in time on the earth, you're an idiot. Just... Just be quiet until you do anything. That's that's all I'm asking. I mean, and then be quiet another ten years because <laughs> they blocked the punt with no time left on the clock, ran it into the end zone. You, I mean, oh. it wasn't even over when the punt was blocked. You let them get all the way to the end zone, go home, shut up for the next ten years. <laughs> oh, okay, Andy, number two. Number two is not so much a moment. It was just a whole game, but it, it was really just had to be such a rough, rough day to be a Michigan fan. The day Toledo went into the big house and beat the Wolverines. I don't have the year pulled up, but I mean, this was the first time that a Mac team had beaten Michigan ever, maybe, or some ridiculously long amount of time. Yeah, I think it was probably ever. It was 2008. Yeah, so uh, again, Andy and I are from Toledo, so this bears some special uh, significance for us. We have plenty of friends. Our good friend, Zach, uh, my wife attended the University of Toledo for a number of years. Um, so many people we know that went to University of Toledo, um, and this was really extra special for them. And uh, following that game, Toledo remains undefeated against Michigan. Oh, amazing. Okay, Andy. Everybody familiar with these teams knows what number one is. Uh, Yeah, if you're you're still listening to this episode and you don't know what we're about to say, what we've been talking about for the last hour probably makes absolutely no sense to you. The number one Michigan fail is Appalachian State. One double A. I don't think they call it one double A anymore, but... A one double A team, first game of the year, goes into the big house. The blocked field goal at the end of the game. Have you noticed kicking's a theme here? Special teams are a joke at Michigan. They block the field goal. They win the game. Strike the band. What a moment to be an Ohio State fan. Andy, they were five in that game. Now, granted, I think it's the first game of the year. Um, and so preseason rankings are going to be a little sketchy. But they were they weren't just a power five team. They were ranked five. This this was two thousand seven. This was the year after the one versus two game. Oh, you just, couldn't play you could not place a bet on this game because there wasn't a line. That's how big of a favorite Michigan was. They wouldn't even take your money to bet on Michigan. Oh, so again, this is another you just go on YouTube, you can watch the end of the game. You can watch what happens when they show the score at in Ohio Stadium and what happens in the, at, in Columbus in response to this game. The band um, plays Hail to the Victors at Ohio Stadium, if you remember correctly. I mean, just, I mean, words cannot express how wonderful this moment was. 
and really, I mean, you you will never remove the stain of this. It will be 50 years from now, and we will still have to bring up that you lost to Appalachian State, not even a Division One program. You could win 12 national championships in a row, and you still lost to Appalachian State. That was wonderful, Andy. I feel so much better after doing that list. Absolutely. Already, Andy. Little shot of joy. Little shot of joy. Um, we've we've gone through college a lot, and as we've established, you are you are now our resident NFL uh, person. Kind of want to walk us through what uh, what's going on in the NFL right now. Yeah, we can hit a couple of a uh, couple of key points. So Tom Brady's not in New England for the first time since two thousand one. Um, he brought his old friend Gronk out of retirement from the the WWF or whatever Gronk was chilling <laughs> on boats, whatever Gronk was up to. Um, do you think Mike Evans is the best wide receiver Tom has had in a decade? Um, I mean, Randy Moss is still the clear number one for that one or two years that he had him. Um, but certainly in quite a long time. Um, other NFL notes, uh, the NFC South has three new starting quarterbacks. So we had a couple of first overall picks in Jameis Winston and Cam Newton, kind of get unseated they're not starting there anymore Um, it's kind of be interesting to see how that shakes out okay i want to touch on this real quick james winston last year threw 30 touchdowns and 30 interceptions how do you are there even enough pass attempts in an nfl season to throw 60 touchdowns or interceptions that's a rough stat line and I think one of the deals with him was he, like, wouldn't refuse to wear contact lenses and, like, his vision was bad or whatever. So who knows? You know, maybe he goes to the doctor, he gets some LASIK, and suddenly he's going to be putting up 50 touchdowns and five picks. But I don't see why he doesn't just throw on the rec specs under the helmet and get on <laughs> with it. Just, just a fantastic, uh, you know, person to watch. You never know. You never know what's going to happen. It's going to be exciting no matter what. Absolutely. I'll be curious to see what Bill Belichick is able to do with Cam Newton in New England as well. Oh, definitely. Um, you know, I'm really hoping for uh for a renaissance from him. I certainly hated him when his college career started. Uh definitely seemed uh like there was some not even really trying to hide what Auburn did to get him uh to attend their university. They go through, they kill everybody that year. They kill Oregon in the national championship game. Um, But really, I mean, he just seems like a pretty, you know, gregarious, you know, he's got that million-dollar smile. Uh, You you know, again, most of these athletes, they're donating their time, a significant amount of money, the charity cases, uh, the charities to, you know, their neighborhoods, um, trying to improve the people uh, that are in their life. Uh, So, yeah. I'm rooting for Cam Newton. I, I hope he does great things in New England, even though, you know, I my standard default is usually just to hate the Patriots. Uh, did you see Von Miller is probably gone for the season for Denver? Yeah, I did hear that. And, you know, just another, you know, how many, you know, it's always, even in a normal year, how many big names are we going to lose throughout the year to injury or other circumstances? And that's going to be uh, doubled this year with COVID. I think the only other story I really wanted to touch on with the NFL is uh, the Dak Prescott story that's come out earlier this week uh, where he's 
kind of opened up about seeking mental health treatment for depression and anxiety. I know he had a, a really rough, a really rough spring as his brother completed suicide. I know Dak felt that he was isolated. So he, I guess he got some treatment that he, he found really helpful for that depression and anxiety. And then he was using his voice to speak up, to encourage others, you know, to not kind of suffer alone, to suffer in that silence, but to go out and get connected. Men's mental health is something that I really care about. I'm pretty passionate about. And I think it's something that, that as guys, we need to be more open about. So I just thought it was great that, you know, in the face of, of a big tragedy that Dak had in his family, that he's able to, to share that message of the things that he's done that have been successful and, and to encourage other people to, to get out there, get that treatment. So I agree a hundred percent with what you just said. Um, definitely, you know, I have a question for you, kind of this being your cup of tea, uh, professional wise. Do you think there's still a stigma for people in our generation? I mean, we know for our parents and grandparents' generation, especially for men, therapy was something that you never admitted to, you didn't seek out, but you didn't want to admit that so called weakness, which is not a weakness, it's something that millions of people go through. Um, you know, do you think that's gotten better for our generation or do you think that's still a, a pretty widespread issue? I think maybe that there's been some improvement over maybe where a parent's generation was at, but I, I think it's unquestionable. There's still stigma and it's not just men, but you know, men, men for sure still feel that, that little bit of stigma. And I think a lot of people, the challenge is just taking that first step. People don't know where to begin. And as guys, we don't always like to ask those questions and we like to kind of try and solve problems on our own. So I think a lot of the challenges guys just don't know how to take that first step and figure out where they are. So even if it's not the stigma that's keeping them quiet, maybe it's just a lack of knowledge. And I think that's why it's important for us all as, as men to be able to be open about that and to be willing to ask for help to say, Hey, I got some stuff going on. I might not know the right person to talk to, but if I can make a phone call and find somebody that can get me connected that's what I'm going to have to do. But yeah, I think the stigma is still there for guys. Um, like I said, it might be getting a little bit better, but it's, it's still there and it's something that we all got to do a little bit better on. I mean, for sure. And I mean, especially now, right? Like, I mean, even, you know, if you had, you know, you have a stable home life and you don't have anything, you know, you don't have any major, uh, you know, diseases or conditions in your household and, you know, you're employed and, uh, you, you know, you have your family around you, you know, I mean, a lot of people are feeling isolated right now. Um, not being able to see all the people that they normally see go out and uh, have the experiences that really make life really fulfilling. Um, so, you know, if you're feeling that uh, sense of being down, being depressed, being anxious, I mean, by all means, uh, you know, seek out the, seek out that therapy, talk to your HR person at work. You might have some, you know, limited number of free sessions uh, through your work or, you know, ask about what your health insurance will cover um, and, you know, get, the, get that help. There's no shame. And, you know, if it's something that really can, uh, you know, improve your life and, uh, you know, you get some benefit from it, it you got to do uh, what you need to do to, uh, to make yourself healthy for yourself and for your family. So I 100% agree with all that. I want to tell you about somebody who does not agree with that. Uh, he is the steaming pile of dog shit that is Skip Bayless. Um, and I don't want to give this a lot of airtime because we know he's just saying something controversial to 
uh, you know, make news and, and get paid. But uh, from earlier t- uh, today or earlier this week, uh, Skip Bayless said, I don't have sympathy for him going public with saying I got depressed. He's the quarterback of America's team. I, what can you say to that besides th- that's the dumbest thing I've heard in a while? He doesn't need your sympathy, Skip. That's an absolute trash comment. So, you know, again, I'm hopeful that we will have a long and complete NFL season uh, that can culminates in playoffs and a Super Bowl. I have no idea if that's going to happen. I have no idea what amount of the college season we're going to play, if the big time is going to resume games. Spring seems far-fetched to me um, just because, you know, your top crust of players is going to want to be uh, getting ready for the draft, staying safe, not getting injured. Um, we've already had uh, top players in, you know, the SEC and the ACC conferences that are playing say they're withdrawing their names for the year they're not going to play they're just going to prepare for the draft um, and I think that issue only gets worse if you try to play spring football so I, I feel like we're running out of time to get the logistics in place to have a big time season like you said if we don't have one it's just going to be one more hallmark of the shitty year that 2020 was but you know this is what happens you know, life is not normal when you have a once-in-a-century pandemic. So hopefully by the time 2021 rolls around, we'll have a normal season and be good to go. Uh, but we'll see. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for today's episode. Um, looking ahead to the future, uh, not sure yet what you guys are going to get next week. Um probably going to do a big politics dive in at some point, but we might wait until we're a little bit closer to uh, the first presidential debate, which is, uh, I believe September 28th, whatever that Tuesday is, uh, we'll probably be back right after, uh, that debate to discuss how that went, what we thought, uh, do some politics, maybe the episode before, but next week we might just touch on some new stories. Um, uh, see what's going on in the news with politics, with COVID. Uh, we have any parenting stories, what happened with sports currently. It looks like Kansas city has a pretty solid lead on the Houston Texans 31, 13. Um, so we might recount some of the more interesting NFL games, maybe some of the interesting college games though. I'm not going to be watching Clemson play some no name school if that's the case. So, uh, what do you think, Andy? Yeah, that sounds good. Um, watch a little sports, see what's going on in the news, and we'll be back at you guys next week. All right, everybody take it easy out there, and we'll see you for the next episode of Buckeye Dads Discuss. Stay safe, Ohio. Buckeye Dads Discuss is a podcast hosted by Andy and Josh. It's edited by April. Uh, you can find us on social media at Buckeye Dads on Twitter. And you can email the show at BuckeyeDadsDiscuss at gmail.com.